0: Welcome to Tales of Panem, a Hunger Games podcast. My name is Claire, my pronouns are she, her, and I'm glad to have you all joining me this week. Make sure to check out my social media, which is at Tales of Panem on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok for updates, episode information, and more. This week's episode will cover chapters 10 through 13 of Mockingjay, and as usual, I'm going to start off with a brief recap of the chapters. After PETA's warning, Coin orders that all the citizens of 13 be evacuated to the bunker. Capitol does attack, bombing the surface and upper levels of District 13. While in the bunker, Katniss finally realizes exactly how Snow is using PETA against her, and she talks to Finnick about it. He's already well aware of Snow's strategy, as it's exactly what he's been doing with Annie. After the bombing, Katniss is asked to film another Propo, letting everyone know that she's alive and that District 13 is still functional. However, when she goes to film it, she can't do it, concluding that she can no longer be the Mockingjay because anything she says or does will be directly taken out on PETA. In response to this, Coin and Plutarch authorize a rescue mission to try to save Peta and the other victors. While the mission is in progress, Katniss and Finnick film new propos to use as a distraction while the team is in the capital. Katniss tells the story of Peta and the bread, and Finnick shares details about his past, as well as all the secrets he has learned about Snow, as well as other prominent capital citizens. The rescue team returns, and Finnick is reunited with Annie, but when Katniss goes to see Peta, he attacks her. After the attack, Plutarch and Beattie inform Katniss that PETA has been subject to a torture method called hijacking in which trackerjacker venom is used to alter the victims' memories and reinforce them with fear. A team is formed to help PETA recover, and they send Delly Cartwright, an old friend of PETA's from District 12, to visit him. After learning about the destruction of District 12 and the death of his family, PETA gets upset and blames Katniss for it, saying that she is a mutt created by the Capitol to kill them. After seeing this, Katniss can no longer bear to stay in District 13, so she requests to be sent to District 2. Before I get started, I just want to say that I have recently been going down like a rabbit hole of character names in the series, and by that I mean like who or what each character is named after, because all the names have like a really deep significance, obviously, Um, but a lot of them come from like historical figures or notable philosophers or stuff like that um which I think is super interesting and so I've been I like was learning a bit more about it and was like oh I need to actually know everything about this immediately so I've been reading a lot of articles um and researching a lot of historical figures (laughs) so I think that after I finish the books I am already planning like what i want to talk about between when i finish ballad and when the movie comes out because there will be a couple months in between um and so now i'm definitely planning on doing an episode about like character names within the series because i think it's so fascinating um but anyway back to mockingjay i just thought that was fun to share my new thing that i'm obsessed with within this series because there's always something isn't there right off the bat pretty much the first thing that happens in this section is a great Haymitch moment as it should And what happens is, this is right after PETA's done his, like, District 13 will be dead by morning thing. Um, And so we pick up up right there. And basically the feed shuts off and everyone in command starts, like, arguing, being like, what did he mean? Is he lying? Like, we don't know what he's talking about. How could he know that? And Hamish is the one to call everyone to silence and be like, obviously there's an attack coming. He's been in the president's mansion. He probably overheard something. And I know him, and I know that we should take this seriously. And then he's like, Katniss, back me up on that. And she obviously does. But Haymitch is the first person to like advocate for PETA and be like, yes, we don't know what kind of mental state he's in. He's been saying a lot of things, some of which we don't necessarily agree with. But look how much he is struggling. Look how much he is suffering. We owe it to him to listen to him and to ourselves because there could literally be a threat to our lives which there was, and Peta's warning does end up saving a lot of lives, because they tell Katniss after that it bought them, like, I don't remember, like, eight additional minutes or something, something like that, which in an evacuation situation is huge, because it takes time to get everyone down to the bunker, and Prim and Gale almost don't make it in, but I do think it is important that Haymitch is the very first person to be, like, to speak above everyone else and be, like, we have to be listening to him right now and to trust him in that moment. But now we have everyone's in the bunker, and there's a lot of good stuff that happens down here. There's two big conversations that I want to talk about, that being Katniss's conversation with Prim and Katniss's conversation with Finnick. So she does have this conversation with Prim. First of all, Prim is is really huge in this section, and I just did my Prim episode, so I'm not going to like talk forever about her so you can go listen to that if you want to hear more about her but in this this situation this evacuation she's the one who's like comforting their family Katniss is trying to kind of keep it together especially because Plutarch's like hey just you know like literally everyone's gonna be watching you and like taking cues from you on how to behave and she's like great I'm freaking out because as we know one of her like deepest fears is like being underground, more specifically being buried alive because she comes from a coal mining district and her father died in a coal mining accident. So this is something she's been very afraid of. And now she's trapped in a bunker, like probably miles under the ground. And there's literally bombs being dropped on them. And she's being told like, but you need to be an example. That is a 17 year old girl, let her rest. Um, (laughs) But anyway, so Prim ends up kind of being the one like holding it together. Like she's definitely nervous too, I think literally everyone is, but she's kind of like talking to Katniss and being like, "Oh, here's what's been going on with me recently," like and telling telling her things about District 13 and like how she's liking it there and stuff just to kind of like distract her. Um I think it goes back to what I was saying about like how Prim has really matured a significant amount since the beginning of the first book to the point where she's now the one who is comforting Katniss, which is something that almost never would have happened in the past. But she also says this line of Katniss. Katniss basically is like, Snow has PETA and it's like really bad. Like, and she says like, what do you think they're going to do to him? And Prim says, whatever it takes to break you. And that causes Katniss to kind of like, not necessarily spiral, but it gets her really deep in thought of like, what are they going to do to him? Because he is, he is Snow's biggest weapon against me. And that brings us into this conversation with Finnick where and this is one of my favorite moments in the series especially because it does include my favorite line um which is what Finnick says he says it takes 10 times longer to put yourself back together than it does to fall apart which is such a good line um but anyway back to the actual conversation at hand Finnick basically tells Katniss that there there was this um the moment in the quarter Quell. When Peeta runs into the force field, his heart stops, he nearly dies. Katniss, like, has a breakdown, obviously, because the person she cares deeply about is about to die. And Finnick tells her that him and the other victors had kind of had this perception of her. And I talked about this, I don't remember specifically which episode, but it was when we were talking about Catching Fire. I think it's must be the one where, like, Joanna gets introduced and everyone's, like, teasing Katniss. Unrelated, unrelated, but the official Hunger Games social media accounts have been like getting active again and it makes me so happy. And also I'm like, so when is, when is the ballad promo picking up? Um, but anyway, that just kind of popped into my head. Anyway, back to what I was saying about how the victors, the other victors in the qual specifically perceived Katniss, they all kind of thought this romance was an act, which it was, especially from Katniss's side. Like as obvious as it is that Peeta actually loved her, it's equally as obvious that she didn't love him back or at least know if she did. But Finnick tells her that it was this moment with the force field where he realized that she actually did love him, even if she didn't necessarily realize it. And I think that's something super interesting about this whole series is that we as a reader and also the people around Katniss can tell by her actions that she loves Peeta but she can't actually realize it like in and we're obviously reading all of her thoughts and she's never like oh my god wait i am so in love with him that moment doesn't happen however we see it and like the force field is just one example there's so many other moments where she'll just be like spending time with Peta, and she's like i love spending time with him he makes me happy and you're like girl you're falling in love with him Um, but she's literally going to be the last person to realize that because that's just who she is, especially with everything going on. That is obviously not her number one priority. Um, as much as some people would like it to be, I'm looking at you, Gail. We have more pressing issues at the moment, but basically Finnick tells her this and she realizes that that moment was not just convincing for Finnick. It was also convincing for everyone watching, namely President Snow. And I I love, this scene in the book hits even harder now because there's a scene in Catching Fire in the movie um, where we see Snow watching the game. So obviously it was not in the book because like, how would we have seen that through Katniss's perspective? And he's watching her reaction to Peeta being brought back and also his granddaughter's there. And she's like, one day I want to love someone that much. And he's like, yeah, okay. But he's like, like, you can see the wheels turning in that scene. And I love that scene with the context of this conversation with Finnick because when you watch it you know oh this is Snow finally realizing that Katniss has real feelings for Peta and I have a lot of thoughts about that whole situation um but they actually are related to some stuff that happens in Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes so I will circle back to them but the important thing I want to touch on here is that like that moment was really telling to all of Panem that these that she has real feelings for him and it's no longer just an act even if it started as that and Finnick pointing this out to her makes her realize like that by do there's the exact line is something about how like she she could finally convince Snow she was in love with Pita and in doing so like gave him the perfect weapon to use against her or something like that I'm sorry I love when I say like the exact line is something like and then either like perfectly or like nearly perfectly quote the line and then I'm like something like that Guys, I've read this book a lot of times. Anyway, that's such a great moment with Finnick. Love Finnick so much. You know who doesn't love Finnick at this moment, though? Gail. Sir, why is he... And this is something we'll talk about in the next section, because he literally says it. He gives Katniss, like, a look when she goes to talk to Finnick at night. Can you please grow up? They are so obviously just friends. Katniss and Finnick, never anything romantic going on between them, and it doesn't even look that way. But of course, Gale has to be like, Ugh. and literally in the next section, this isn't really a spoiler. So I'll just say it. he literally has a line where he's like, I don't know, I was starting to think that maybe like Finnick had his eye on you or something like that. And Katniss, Katniss says back. She says, you don't know Finnick if you think he'd love me. I think that's hilarious. Um, But I think Gale's a jerk. And I think it's so childish and stupid that he's like, Man, now I'm jealous of Finnick because Pete is not here for me to be jealous. Of- shut up. Shut up. Anyway now let's talk about I I also think there's a lot in this scene of like Katniss now having another reason to owe Peeta because of how much time his warning saved them as I mentioned before and she already feels like she owes him for a lot which like okay she kind of does not that like she hasn't saved him too but to her her whole life has been about owing people she doesn't want to owe anyone and she feels like there's a lot of people that she does and she doesn't like that. And we've known that about her from the beginning. She likes to be able to provide for herself and her family, but she knows that the extra time from PETA's warning is the reason that Prim and Gail are alive because they were the last ones in the bunker. They wouldn't have made it if, if they hadn't had that advanced warning. And so she's like, once again, I owe PETA for not just my life, but for the lives people I care about. And that's just another thing sort of like added to the pile so to say of like reasons she she feels that she needs to like I can't think of the right word for what I'm trying to say I guess make it up to him I don't know it's it's a complicated situation because he's also in the capital actively being tortured not because of her but like because of his proximity to her and it, that's not me being like it's her fault because it's 100% not in any way However, to her it is, especially now that she knows that he's directly being used to target her. So she's like, now on top of that, I also have to thank him for saving my entire family. And that's not like, there's not really like a bitterness there, but it's a like, it weighs down on her because she experiences a lot of guilt, especially in this book in particular. And she feels guilty for the fact that like he is having to suffer to save her and her loved ones because it's not fair, which it isn't, but it's not on her. She just can't see that necessarily. But all this piles up and she does kind of hit this like breaking point where she realizes I can't be the Mockingjay, and it's really sad. But <laughs> this is unfortunately one of my favorite Katniss and Haymitch moments because of one line. And I feel like you might already, I feel like I've talked about this line before probably in my Katniss episode or my Haymitch episode or maybe my PETA episode, or just, like, in general, sure, it's been brought up. When she, she when she has, it's when they're outside and she's, like, trying to film this propo and she can't do it. And she says the only person she wants to comfort her is Haymitch because he loves PETA too. How am I famously, like, the number one Haymitch and Katniss fan, like, of their relationship? how am i supposed to not have a breakdown because they're still like she's still working on sort of trusting him again whatever because of all the stuff that happened at the end of catching fire and look i've said before also that i i see where people are coming from where they're like hey mitch is a father figure to katniss i personally don't really see it that way i also said that if anyone were to be a father figure to katniss within the series it would be cinna but when I read scenes like this, I see the vision. I do see the vision, um, which is why I'm not like, I don't see that at all. Because sometimes I really am like, well, but he kind of was. But anyway, I just love them so much. I, they're so, they truly like need each other in a way that they will never fully understand or even accept. But like he is always going to be a mentor to her, even if they are no longer like, actively tribute and mentor he still fulfills that kind of role in her life which i think is super important and i love that moment between them and i again it goes all back to this like Peta being the thing that kind of unites them when they are like literally about to kill each other (laughs) and i have a lot more things to say about Hamish in this episode not to worry but i do want to talk about more about finnick specifically this propo that he films in which he is like president snow's a snake (laughs) literally um (laughs) but we also learn a bit more about Finnick's past and it's quite dark um as it is for like literally every other victor ever um but it's really dark he he won his games at 14 as we know and then it was basically like we can't touch him until he's 16 which still a minor so not great um although I do it is kind of interesting to me how like 16 is kind of viewed as like adult age within the series but you're still like you're still a kid in the sense that you can like be reaped and stuff but you're treated like an adult i don't know that's just something i think about because like obviously some like this like adult capital citizens paying money to hook up with a 16 year old is like not okay in any reality um and that's the entire point but it is very interesting to me about how like that is sort of the age when it's like, okay, this is fine, instead of 18. Um, So I have some questions. But yeah, so that's what happens to Finnick. And he doesn't really have a choice because he literally says that, like, the people he loves are so vulnerable that, like, he doesn't have a choice. And that's obviously most directly referring to Annie. And it's really relevant because of what's happening to her now. But what he got out of this was a lot of tea on the capital citizens specifically snow and why i love this scene now is because i've read ballad of Songbirds and snakes and i'm like yeah remember when finnick odair was like coriolanus snow likes to poison people and then i read that novel and i was like he sure does <laughs> um <laughs> but anyway also just like the the continuity between like Ballad and the original books is so good and there's so many little connections but this scene is the most like obvious like they literally lay out everything about him especially when he's like he was so young when he first took power and I was and like how what he had to do to keep it and then you go read a book about him as an 18 year old and you're like yeah Vinicodera was making some points so yeah he basically like exposes the fact that snow is terrible not that anyone is shocked but the whole like poisoning people thing stuff like that again like it's so interesting that people at Capitol will be like oh my god our good president Coriolanus Snow poisoned someone and I'm like yeah (laughs) like maybe I didn't know the details but at no point was my jaw on the floor learning this information. Like it's not shocking, but like to see the capital citizens react to it or even the people that had been like that had been capital citizens and then joined the rebellion. Like Fulvia Cardew is in shambles at this, not in shambles, but she is stunned. stuff like that. So interesting to me how much the people of the capital eat up that propaganda because of the whole uh, the bread and circuses, which, is where panem gets his name from the um old expression bread and circuses which is basically like you provide food and entertainment to your people and then they will like be okay with the fact that they have no power that's exactly what snow has been doing to the capital and that's where panem gets the name panem which means bread i can't remember if that was in this section or the next section but you know it's fine i did read all the way through to the end of the next section when i was doing this one because once i start reading mockingjay i can't put it down it's like a disease like i i have to just keep reading it it's so hard for me to stop um so i'm a little there's a few things that i'm like i can't exactly remember when this was brought up but i know it was i was about to move on to hamish but i have like one more thing i want to say before that because we all know once i start talking about hamish it can go on <laughs> um but i do want to just briefly say I will talk more about this rescue mission, but Finnick and Annie's reunion, so cute. I love them so much. And also Katniss's reaction to seeing their reunion. And she says it's not jealousy of like either one of them, but it's jealousy of how sure they are in their love for each other. And I just think that's so cute. And I'm also like, girl, I believe me, you will get to a, pla- a place where you are that sure of your love for someone. Um but it is very, very cute. I love seeing them reunited. Joanna is now back. My God, next week, the amount that I will be talking about Joanna Mason next week. Because when I'm like Joanna Mason is my second favorite Hunger Games character, it is specifically because of like three chapters in Mockingjay. She's great all the time, but that was what made me be like, mm, but she's kind of a step above the rest. Um. So next week is going to be her just her for like a good 50% of the episode. As for this rescue mission, here is something. I have certain things that are like, it's like scripted. Like when I'm watching the movie some with someone, especially someone who either like hasn't read the books or it's been a while, or they don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of it like I do. There are like certain things that I ha- literally have to bring up. Like I will, it would be very difficult for me not to. <laughs> I'd have to be like physically restrained. One of these things is that Hamish tried to volunteer for the rescue mission to go get PETA and Boggs fully ignored him because like, is he really in any condition to be doing that? No. However, just the fact that Hamish Abernathy was like, I will risk my life going to the Capitol to save PETA, even though I am very clearly not in the physical or mental condition to be doing that. I don't care. And that detail got left out of the movie, which like, whatever, it's fine. But like, if you are watching Mockingjay part one with me know that it will be coming up (laughs) and I will be like emotional about it but yeah he does volunteer to go and then okay let's just talk about Haymitch because I have a lot to say because we do learn a bit more about him in in this section I do want to read this quote actually kind of give some context to it and then I'll read this quote after the rescue mission goes Haymitch asks Katniss if she wants to be sedated for the remainder of the mission, like until they get back. And he's not joking. And this is where the quote is that I want to just read. This is a man who spent his adult life at the bottom of a bottle trying to anesthetize himself against the Capitol's crimes. The 16 year old boy who on the second quarter quell must have had people he loved. Family, friends, a sweetheart maybe, that he fought to get back to. Where are they now? How is it that until Pita and I were thrust upon him, there was no one at all in his life? What did Snow do to them? And we find out actually in this section what did happen to them um but as for this quote i just think like the fact that Hamish would rather be drunk or completely sedated than face a hard situation and that's how he's been living for the past 25 years and so he really is trying to help her by being like do you want to be sedated for this but he also doesn't want her to end up like him i think it's very very important to note. he knows that like it's bad for him he really doesn't want that for her um but i do think that sometimes he doesn't actually know the best way to help her as a mentor or as a friend um but we but what did happen to his family and his girlfriend is that they were killed (laughs) because he did that thing with the force field and Snow was like, "Mm, don't love that. So we're gonna kill your family. And basically for the past 25 years, he's been sort of propped up as like an example. So to people like Finnick or Joanna, it's like, here's what happens to you if you don't do what I say, I'm gonna kill everyone you love and you're just gonna end up drunk and alone for the rest of your life. And the only thing that changes that for Haymitch is Katniss and Peeta. And I do think, and we'll talk about this more later, about the fact that Hamish like remembers all the tributes he's mentored um but really they were like life-changing for him uh, in like an obvious way of like how much things changed after he met them but like on a personal level like yes he still drinks well not right now because district 13 is like "Mm, no alcohol um but like he will continue to drink and it's not like his life is fixed However, just having someone who not only is there for him, but also, like, understands what he's been through. Maybe not specifically his situation, but, like, they are they have also been through a lot. They've also survived the Hunger Games. They've also lost people. Like, they know what he's been through. His life makes me want to cry. Um. Anyway, I'm going to move on before I, like, literally start crying. So let us talk about PETA because it is quite dark. <laughs> He's back from the Capitol, but it's not a huge win because he has been hijacked, which is this really specific torture method that the Capitol has created in which they use Tracker Jacker Venom and they basically like bring your past memories to the front of your brain and inject you with the venom to basically infuse those memories with like fear, confusion and and like deadliness even and then sort of like save them in a way. Um I don't know all the science of it. I only know what BD says in that one scene. Um because I am not a scientist. Uh but basically that's the the general like idea of how it works. But I think so here's and I did a whole episode on Pinot a while back. It might still be my favorite episode i've done i don't know i have to be biased towards my haymitch episode even though it was longer than all my other episodes um but the Peter one i am very did love that one a lot and i talked about how if this had to happen to any character it's the most heartbreaking for it to happen to him because it's a thing that's brought up a lot how like once you win the hunger games you can never be the same person that you were and that is extremely true of all the victors that we know and i think that In some ways, it is true of PETA, you know, like, he he definitely changed after the games, like, there's no way to stay completely the same after you've undergone that intense amount of trauma in such a short period of time, coupled with the fact that he's now in this, like, fake relationship that he wants to be real so badly, but, like, he still stayed a good person. He didn't become cynical or dark, he didn't shut himself out, stuff like that. He he really maintained like his goodness that was his defining trait. And he worked hard. That was the thing that was most important to him. It wasn't easy for him to do that. But he says they're not, the night before their first games, he says, I don't want them to change me or like turn me into some kind of monster. So that was the one thing that he wanted. And he managed to pull it off until he literally didn't have a choice. And that was stripped away from him. And so that is what makes it that much more heartbreaking. Like, this would have been bad if it happened to anyone, obviously. But the fact that it's PETA makes it so much worse because he was one of the last people who was, like, truly, truly a good and kind and open person. So, Susan Collins, girly, why would you write that about him? Um, It was really rude to me personally. um, And it is deeply upsetting to me (laughs) also on that I think that the most heartbreaking thing about it is that no matter how much recovery he goes through he's never going to be his old self again because it is such a drastic change from who he used to be and some of that is as a product of like how truly truly good and kind he used to be it would be so hard to get back to that after everything that's happened and hamish hey once again, is the one to say, I think he might get somewhat better, but I don't think he'll ever be the same as in like he'll never truly be back to his old self. And he's right. And we'll see it like as we go forward. You see the progress that he's making. Like even when he gets his visit from Delhi, it's obviously a huge step up from like him attacking Katniss, you know, and it, it gets better from there too, but it never like he never truly gets back to the person that he used to be. And I think that the most like the most jarring examples of it are in like everyday things. Like obviously when he's literally trying to strangle Katniss or like screaming about how she's a mutt, but just like his demeanor and the way he talks to people have completely changed. And it's all as a result of this torture that he didn't have any control over. And I'll talk more about that in the next section because there's even more examples of it. They do, though, send Deli Cartwright in to visit him. I love her so much. She's so cute. She's so friendly. The way she talks about Katniss, I I love when she's like, oh my god, yeah, everyone always thought Katniss was so cool, like, and just the way she, like, could go into the woods, like, everyone loved her, and Hamish and Katniss give each other this look of, like, oh, what are you talking about? No one liked me. I just think it's so funny, Um, but she's really cute. And she, I feel really bad for her, actually, when they send her into CPRA, because obviously the things he's asking about are like, what happened to District 12? Where is my family? Um, And we know that his family died in the bombing, um, but he obviously hasn't been told about any of that. And so she basically gets tasked with like telling him that his family's dead, his home has been destroyed, they're in a completely new place. And it's really sad because, like, he he now he doesn't have a family anymore. He's only 17 years old. His entire family is dead. And, like, it doesn't, like, obviously his mother was the literal worst. Um, He had his issues with his family for sure. But, like, that doesn't mean it's not extremely difficult to lose them on top of everything else. And it's so much worse, too, because he doesn't really have any, like, friends now like there are people that are there for him but the problem is that everyone is so linked with Katniss like Haymitch the first person he's gonna think of when he sees Haymitch is Katniss and like pretty much everyone else that he'd met along the way so the only people left are like his friends from district 12 but a lot of them probably have been killed off by now and so having Delhi there is at least like someone from his old life to help him find some semblance of who he was and not just who he was before the hijacking, but who he was before the game, is because every other reminder of that is gone. Like his parents are gone. He can't go home. He can't go back to the bakery. He can't even do the things he used to do because his mental and physical state have deteriorated so much. And so I do love that they pick Delhi to go talk to him because they are childhood friends and she has like knows him very well, has known him a long time and also is just like such a nice person. So like, being around her would be very pleasant I love her I want to be friends with her <laughs> like I want to hang out with her anyway the last thing I wanted to talk about ugh, why did I put this last I don't know what I was doing when I ordered my points because now I have to talk about Gail for the end of the episode ugh, sorry guys I didn't plan this well clearly the thing I actually want to talk about though is like the weapons that Gail and Beatty are developing and I ugh, warning you all now warning you all now next week that I said is going to be like 50% Joanna Mason, it's going to be like 30% Ale because he's in it a lot. And don't tell him I said this because I hate him so much, but his really interesting moments are in the next section. I know he actually has interesting moments. <gasps> Not necessarily good, interesting, but they are interesting in terms of like what he actually means to the story. Because, yes a decent amount of his scenes and his character is him being a jerk to Katniss and being like, oh, why aren't you in love with me? And another decent portion is like, we should be just like killing people. (laughs) Not like, like his his whole thing now is like, I'm gonna do whatever it takes to win against the Capitol. He hates the Capitol so much, don't we all? Um, But the reason it's a problem for him and Katniss is that Katniss has killed people in a very, very personal context. Um, and I'll actually, I'll talk about it more when we get to the movie, because I think that the way they rewrote a conversation between her and Gail for the film is actually one of the better changes that they made because she gets to say a line that I think is really important. Um, but that's a next week and also like a movie thing. But I do think that he he's a very violent person. And in fairness, she's a pretty violent person too. But she doesn't have the same like eagerness to be violent that he does he spends all his time down designing weapons with Beatty and I think that maybe if he'd been through the games like she had things would be different if she hadn't maybe things would be different we don't know those are all like hypotheticals but he spends pretty much all his time trying to think of new inventive ways to trap or kill people which he's been doing his whole life with animals but it's very different And that kind of conflict between them is going to come to a head in the next section when they are in a real world situation where he is like, where she's like, if we do this, a lot of people are going to die. And some of them are just civilians. And he's basically like, that's the price of war. And I do, I mean, obviously, like the whole series is about like war theory and like what what it actually means to be in a war. Um... And not this, like, sugar-coated version of it that some people try to shove in your face. Um, And I do think, I I think every single day about this quote from Suzanne Collins, where it it was in an interview that she did, like, right as Ballad was coming out. And the question was basically, like, did you always know you were going to come back to this world? Like, what made you write this book now? And she said that she, so she has her two worlds. She has Panem and she has the Underland which is from her other books, which also are really good. Go read those. And she basically said that like when she finds a topic regarding war theory that she wants to explore more deeply, she looks at those two worlds and thinks like, where do I want to put this? Where can it best service the narrative? And like the reason she wrote Ballad is because she thought she wanted to explore this like state of nature debate and like nature versus nurture and all that stuff. And who better to do that with than President Snow? Anyway, I bring up this interview a lot when people are like, we didn't want a book about President Snow, like no one cares. And I'm like, I will admit, I was a little skeptical because I was like, I trust Susan Collins with my life. However, a lot of times these like villain origin stories end up being very like, oh, but like their upbringing was so hard so we can feel bad for them. And I was a little nervous that this was going to start to fall into that. And it didn't, thank God. And reading this interview with her, like really made it all make sense to me. I forgot what I was saying. Oh, I was talking about like how the whole thing is about war theory and Gail represents a very specific perspective on war and this is something that I wanted to save till next week so I don't know why I'm starting to go on into detail about it um but I guess I guess this is my teaser for the next episode um no but he and that's kind of the the thing with like the weapons him and BD are designing is like he's very like he's being very strategic about this. He's trying, he's thinking with like a military mind and not with a personal or emotional one. And Katniss is definitely, has more of a personal perspective on war because of what she's lived through. And like a lot of this stuff has not been hypothetical for her. For Gale, it's been not necessarily hypothetical, but it's just been words. But now it's like words being put into actions and these weapons are soon going to be used. And he's going to have to deal with the fallout of, you created weapons that are going to be responsible for killing a lot of people. And her big point to him is like, is that something that you're going to be able to live with? And also like, should you be okay living with that? Because there's a difference between like, and she says, she says this specifically to him, like killing people when you're under attack and you have to defend yourself and going out of your way to kill people, knowing that innocent lives or civilian lives or even allies are going to be killed. Anyway, that's the big debate of the next section, and I'm very excited to talk about it because, as much as I hate to admit it, um, I do actually like love Gale as a character. I hate him as a person, and I think that that is kind of the point. Like he, he's not written he's not written for you to treat as a villain, but he's also not written for you to be like, oh my God, so true, King. Like I love you so much, and I think that that is very important when you consider like what is his stance on this war and, and like the strategies he's using, it's important to recognize how Suzanne Collins intends for you to view his character, because it tells you a lot about like why she wrote this book and what she wants you to take away from it. And not just this book, but the series as a whole. Thanks for joining me this week on Tales of Panem. For those of you reading along with me, next week's episode will be covering chapters 14 through 18 of Jay. If you have any specific questions or topics you'd like me to cover, you can DM them to me on any social media or send them to my email, which is talesofpunem at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave a review or rating of the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would be very appreciated. Thanks again for listening, and I'll be back next week.